Brian has, uh, I just want to express gratitude to God for sending us Brian. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's, he reminds me of Timothy. You know, he reminds me of Timothy. He's young. You know, and Paul told Timothy, don't let, don't let anyone despise your youth. You know, um, Brian loves God, and it's his, his, his sincere desire to discover the truth about God that it's, that's drawn him to search the scriptures and find revelation in his life, even against the advice of many around him. As you hear his story, you'll, you'll come to see that. But uh, I'm just, I'm just uh, grateful that he's here. He's our youth pastor. He was scheduled to speak today. That's, that's the truth. So, I mean, Justin picked a convenient time to be out. Somebody was already ready to go. So God's really good like that. He schedules things. Um, so, Brian, we love you. We're grateful for your life and your example. And come and share some love. Give him some love, people. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, sure. All right. I came up here just for a drink of water, so. All right. Andrew, I want to thank you for that introduction. My head right now is just, I mean, it's just really huge right now after that. I mean, I don't know how I can live up to just being Timothy, you know. So now I have to. So anyway, I just want to start by saying, first of all, I'm just a little bit nervous, okay, just a little bit. But the problem is not me. The problem is you guys, okay? I mean, you guys never have fun in church, you know. You guys never laugh. I don't understand. What is y'all's problem? I mean, can y'all just lighten up a little bit? Especially you, Bill. Every Sunday, every Sunday, you make Justin nervous, okay? So do not, whatever you do every Sunday, do not do it to me, okay? So, first of all, I just want to say that my very first Sunday here was, I think it was 2013. Um, me and my brother, we've kind of come into the message of grace. And we drove, we drove past this building at the time. It was called Deeper Life something, another Deeper Life Fellowship. Hello. Anyway, um... And there's a sign out front, it said Place of Grace. So that kind of caught our curiosity. We were like, what is that a boot? If you don't know what that is, that's Canadian for about. We are like, what is that a boot? So we came up in here, and man, whenever I first came in, I was just, I was scared to death. I didn't know what to expect exactly. So I come up in here, first thing, I'm just bombarded with hugs, you know, just everybody, hey, how you doing? We love you. And that's just new to me, because whenever I normally come into church, it's always, hey, brother, how you doing? Good to see you, brother. So whenever I come here, that just kind of threw me off. But then, once I come up in, into here, first thing I see is drums. And I just started freaking out. Because if you don't know about me, I grew up independent fundamental Baptist. Okay? And which means that we were into the old-time religion way of doing things. Okay? Um, when it comes to the music, we were all about hymns. When it came to the Bible, we were all about King James. Which, by the way, I got a King James Bible right now. So... I mean, it was good enough, it was good for my father, it was good for Paul and Silas, it was tried in the fiery furnace, so you know what, it was good enough for me, you know? So, anyway, and after, this year, after I came here, you know, you know, after the worship, you know, whenever worship started, I was just scared to death, you know, I was just stiff, I was like, this is really, really uncomfortable, you know? And it's just because, you know, it was all new to me, everybody's raising hands, and me, I'm used to having a songbook in my hand and a piano. So, and also, whenever Mark came up here and preached, he came up, he started preaching out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. He wasn't using King James. So that, too, added to my stress and anxiety to everything. You know, I was like, man, he's not using a King James Bible. But the one thing I do, re I do remember after Mark's sermon is that I just had just this, this great sense of just peace and life over me. 
you know, because I come to a place, this is a place of grace. And even till, till, until today, nothing has changed. We are still out to reach people with the message of grace. So this is kind of what I, what I kind of want to share, you know, with my testimony, you know, me coming into the message of grace. And this isn't necessarily going to be just about my, my testimony, but I'm going to speak about a passage today that has really changed my life. And before we get started, I have a video I want to share. So, Chris, this is your cue. At some point, all of us find ourselves at a fork in the road in our spiritual lives. Suddenly, you find yourself staring down two paths, two distinctly different paths. One says, pleasing God. The other says, trusting God. You look at the trusting God side. You think it sounds good, except it doesn't give me a whole lot to do. It's too passive. It's like, uh, if we're going to do this Christian life, I mean, really do it, then, then we're going to have to have a little bit something more than just trust, right? So you look back at the pleasing God side. Now, now that makes sense, right? I mean, because after all he's done for us, the least we can do is please him. So this path leads to the room of good intentions. Oh, man, it is an impressive room. My golly, with impressive people, passionate people. You're surprised to see that everyone in this room is wearing masks, but they are immaculate and beautiful, like the masks they hand to you. Everyone here is doing just fine. Everyone's serious about working on their sin and on their disciplines and trying to keep God pleased with them. There's an unspoken message in this room. God loves you always, but he likes you a lot less when you mess up. Still, you join this impressive group of people in this impressive room. And, and really, for the most part, um, you actually uh, are coming up to standard on most days. I mean, really, you're, you're, you're doing okay. It's like you remember uh, to read your Bible, you pray for others, and you're even reading a couple of chapters in that book that everybody's raving about. God's... God's uh, glad that you're doing your to-do list. He's not happy about your thoughts, though. He's disappointed that. If you were serious about your sin, you, you, you would fix that. After a while, you, you realize nobody in this room really knows you. They know your mask, but they don't know what you look like behind the mask. They don't know that you're struggling. They don't know that in spite of all your passionate sincerity, you don't believe that you really have pleased God for a minute of your life. You are exhausted, bluffing and faking like you have it together. And so one night when nobody's looking, you slip out the back. Bone, tired, and dejected and disillusioned. You walk out onto the path until you hit the fork in the road again. <sighs> Trusting God. Well, if there's no other option, and you find yourself out on the path that leads to the room of grace. 
It's a lot less impressive room, but it is infinitely more inviting. Oh, you are welcomed into this loud conversation, and there are sincere smiles. Oh, my, there's not a mask to be seen anywhere. The people in this room, they are messy, but honest. They, they tell each other the truth about themselves and what they're struggling with, and nobody's trying to pretend like they've got it all together. There's, there's a silent message in this room, too. It says, God is delighted with you, wild about you, regardless of how you behave. The people in this room actually seem to believe that God loves them and likes them all the time, even when they mess up. After a while in this room, you find yourself slowly starting to tell the truth about yourself and the things you struggle with, and you are shocked to discover that God is right here in the midst of it, his arm tightly around you, loving you, enjoying you. He smiles at you and he says, <laughs> you know I really am big enough to handle your stuff, all of it. It doesn't surprise me, it doesn't shock me, it never comes between you and me. I am crazy in love with you on your very worst day. Now listen to me. I just want you to trust me with who I say you are. And I want you to learn to let other people love you with all your stuff. It will free you to love like crazy because you will have experienced being loved. So, another drink of water. So, trust. My spiritual life is a journey from me striving really hard to please God to me finally coming to a place of just placing all my confidence, every source of, of, of just everything I, I have on God's word, on what God says about me. And this is what had really changed my, spirit, my spiritual life. Now, I, read, I saw a quote yesterday. It said, a truth that is not trusted does not transform. Think about that. A truth that is not trusted does not have the power to transform. So what does that say about God's truth in, in your part? Truth is not something that we have to live up to. Truth is something that we all live out of. It's a spiritual reality. And that is what the finished work of the cross has done for us. So... Before we get started, I want to get on my soapbox about something real quick. So, I mean, why do so many people feel the need to balance grace? Think about that. We live in a Bible belt. Whenever you talk about grace, you know, it's always grace for salvation. You know, it's all good for heaven. But, man, once you get going, it becomes all about your performance, all about living up to whatever standard that they want to put you on. I want to think about why is that? And, you know, before I, before I came to speak today, I actually had something to, totally different prep for this. But, you know, me and Justin, we had a conversation about this the other day, and it kind of de derailed, you know, everything I had planned for. <clears throat> but anyway, 
I mean, why do so many people think that? You know, whenever people drive past our church, they see a sign that says Pure Grace Church. You know what that also comes to, to mind whenever they, whenever they read that? They read Pure Sin Church. Think about that, you know? Whenever they drive past this and they see Pure Grace Church, it's like, man, this is a Pure Sin Church. You go to that, you, do you go to a sin church on Dolls Road? Is that, I mean, is that, is, that, is that really us? Are we a pure sin church? So, so you know, that kind of got my, my whole mind racing about this. You know, I think what it comes down to, it comes down to a lack of trust in who God is. And what that does, it leads to a really passive view of what grace is. Because, we, you know, grace is all about for heaven, for the future, for past. There's no grace for right now. You know, you know what I'm saying? So... Starting on my testimony, uh, this isn't necessarily going to be all about my testimony, but, you know, I grew up uh, independent fundamental Baptist. I grew up in church and Christian school my whole life. I was in Christian school from second grade um, all the way up until I graduated. Um, I had six people in my graduating class. Um, so I went to a really, really small Christian school that was a part of my church. Um, I was saved and baptized at the age of five, and my one... I was taught that my one spiritual goal in life was to please God. So I viewed myself, I constantly viewed myself as dirty and distant from God. I always saw God on the other side of my sin. You know, it was like, you know, I'm here, then God is over there, and in between me and God was just this big, huge mound of just garbage bags, of just banana peels, and just, you know, cat litter, and puke, and God is on the other side, you know, waving at me like, hey, come on, I'm over here. And you know what, and you know, there was a, a train of thought in my mind that said, you know, I was always working on my sin to achieve a close relationship with God. So me, I always had a far off view of God. I didn't, I never really saw God as close to me. So, and that also led to my three main motives in serving God. My three main motives was fear, guilt, and it was also obligation. It was fear that I'm going to be judged for my future sins which, by the way, hold on, that doesn't make sense. Let's think about this. I grew up independent fundamental Baptist. We were against going to the movies. Why? We were against going to the movies because what are, the, what are they going to show on the, on, the, on, the, on the movie screen? They're going to show sin, right? So here I am, future in heaven, you know, on judgment day, there's a movie screen, you know, and what is being played? My sin. Does that make any sense whatsoever? It doesn't. You know, so I mean, again, my, my, I mean, all three, all three of my of my of my main motives growing up in church was fear, obligation, and guilt. Fear that I was going to be judged for my sins, obligation that I owed everything to God. You know, I owed everything. You know, and guilt that I was not doing enough. So, this was my mindset that I had growing up in church up until I graduated Christian school. My Christian life became all about dedication, hard work. I knew that no matter what I did, I could always be doing more and being more for God. And because of that, I always felt like I was a big, big disappointment to God. Always. I never felt the pleasure of God smiling on me growing up. So it wasn't until I found out who I was in Christ that I had, that I had experienced real transformation in my life. No longer did I see myself as dirty and distant from God. I saw myself as one spirit with Christ. That me and Christ shared the same DNA. That me and Christ were just one right now. And, you know, there's a passage in uh, Corinthians that says that we who are joined to the Lord have become one spirit with him. What exactly does that mean? 
Now, I don't know, I mean, how many of y'all know how to make sweet tea? Y'all make homemade sweet tea? So if I, all right, I'm going I'm to I'm quiz y'all. If I take unsweet tea and just pour sugar in it, does that make it sweet? What happens to it? What happens to, to the sugar? It floats down at the bottom. So what do I have to do to make sweet tea? I have to boil the water, and I have to put the tea and the sugar in, and it has to melt, and it has to fuse together. So what does that make? It, it's no longer sugar and tea and water. It's not one new thing. It's a new thing. What is it? It's sweet tea. So whenever we become one spirit with Christ, we become one brand new thing. It's no longer me and Christ. My life is no longer, you know, my life with a little bit of Jesus, you know, sprinkled on top. We now become one thing. It's sweet tea. You know, we are one spirit with Christ. So how close, how close is your God? Think, think about that. You're one spirit with him. So that was a big revelation for me. I mean, whenever I got that, I was just jet blue everywhere, you know? So... So I saw myself as one spirit with God, that I and Christ share the same, the same spiritual DNA that, sorry about that, that I, that I was no longer a sinner saved by grace, but I was a holy, righteous saint. Amen. Think about that. I was holy and righteous. So instead of trying to get God to respond to how good I was, I started to find myself responding to how good God was. Yeah. That is a big, a big mind change. Think, think about that. Because if you're trying to get God to respond to how good you are, how good can you be? You can only be so good. But God is so much better than, than anything we could ever produce. That's why he is the center of everything. We're not the center. Okay? Christ, is, Christ is, is, is at the center of everything we do. We're not at the center. So God became a source for everything I did. Instead of living... For God, I started to live from God. Instead of living for his love, I started to live from his love. Instead of living for right standing with God, I started living from right standing with God. Jesus became my source for everything, and that is what changed everything about my spiritual life too. Just, you know, instead of just seeing God as distant, I saw me as one spirit with him, and I was drawing life from him. He was a, he was a well. You know, I know it was no longer, I was no longer exper- exper- experiencing stress about everything. You know, I mean, whenever everything on planet, on planet Earth was bothering me, I started to actually run to Jesus to relieve my stress. My mouth is dry. So, Jesus became my source, and this is important. Okay, the question is, why do so many people view grace with with sin, you know? And, you know, whenever Jesus came, Jesus did not come to give us a message of grace. Whenever Jesus came, you know, Jesus came to give us one thing. What was it? He came to give us life. He didn't come to make us good. Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. Think about that. And it wasn't until I saw Jesus as my source of life, everything started to just... I can rest now, you know? I can no, I mean, I no longer have to strive to please God. So, the question is, why is there, why do so many people view grace with, with sin? And it comes down to people have a low view of grace. Now, why is that? People have a low view of grace because we don't trust God. We do not trust God with who God says we are. So, and I'm going to turn to a passage. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. This is, Romans 6 is a passage that completely, you know, just 
everything flows from Romans 6 for me. And I mean, if you look at my Bible, I have the whole thing marked up. It just connects so many dots for me. Romans chapter 6. We're actually going to start in Romans 5, starting in verse 20. If you're there, say, say amen if you're there. Are you there? All right, starting in verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Hold on a second. What happened whenever, whenever law came in? What happened to sin? Did sin decrease or did sin increase? It increased. So what happens today whenever we try to control everything with, with Moses? You know, we think, you know, if we, if we want people to behave, we have to send Moses in to take care of everything. But what happened in the, old, in the Old Testament whenever Moses came, whenever the law came? Sin increased. But what happens under Jesus whenever sin increases? What, what happens to grace? It increases. It's hyperabound. So whenever, whenever sin goes up, grace goes way up. So God always meets our grace. I mean, God always meets our sin with grace. So, and this is, this is as far as what, as what many people think grace goes. People think that, well, grace is just, you know, forgiveness. Grace means I don't have to go to hell. And we, we used to sing songs, you know, a song that we used to sing growing up was, I'm not going to hell. <laughs> think about that. <laughs> we were so excited about God. The only, the only kind of source of excitement and rest we had was, we're not going to hell. <laughs> I mean, isn't that nuts? But that is as far as what, of what most people think grace goes. Grace is just forgiveness. But we know that, that grace is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is mercy. Mercy is, me getting what I, grace, mercy is me getting what I do not deserve. Grace is me getting what... Hold on. I messed it up. Mercy is me not getting what I deserve. Grace is me getting what I do not... I messed it up. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> so anyway... This is why so many people have a low view, a low view of grace, is because we just see it as, as just forgiveness. So I want to go to uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, starting at verse 1. Now, the only logical question following off of Romans 5.20 is this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? What is the answer to that? Should we continue in sin? No. Why not? Hold on, before you answer that. I mean, whenever I was stuck in legalism, the way how, the way how I would answer that would be this. Should we continue in sin that, that grace might abound? No. Why? Because I'm going to be judged for my sins. Shall we continue in sin that, the, that grace might abound? No, because I'm going to be out of fellowship with God. Should we continue in sin that, that grace might abound? No. For some people, it's you might lose your salvation. Now, notice in verse 2, Paul does not excite obedience through fear. In verse 2, Paul says this. He says that, God forbid, how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? So you mean to tell me in the middle of temptation, in the middle of everything, I'm supposed to be motivated by I'm dead to sin? Does that make any sense whatsoever? How am I supposed to be motivated by, by you know, I'm dead to sin? So again, Paul does not, Paul answers this question in a, total, in a totally different way than what most people would answer it. Some people would answer it with just fear. You know, should you continue to sin? No, because why? Fear. You have fear holding over your, you have fear holding over you, trying to motivate you to behave. You know, so Paul, does, Paul doesn't go there. 
Paul says in Romans 6, 3, he says, Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, baptism. What does the word baptize mean? I know Trent knows this because we talked about this in youth. What does the word baptize mean? Placed into. Immersion. Immersion. Placed into. In other words, if I was to take, I don't have this pen with me, but if I was to take this bottle of water, place it in, place it in this book, and place the book on the ground, what would happen to the bottle? It would be on the ground, right? If I was to take the book with the bottle of water in it and place it on the table, what would happen to the, to the bottle of water? It would be on the table. If I was to take it and put it on, put on the shelf, what would happen to the, to the bottle of water? be put on the shelf. So whenever we're baptized into Christ, what, what does that mean exactly? So moving forward. Uh, we're baptized into Christ, meaning this, starting in verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Therefore we were buried with him through baptized into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, this is a key verse. If you do not have this verse right here marked and underlined in your Bible, you need to mark it. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer serve sin. So what happens whenever we are placed, whenever we are placed into Christ? We're taken through his death, his burial, and also his resurrection. Now, that is... But what that is dealing with, that is, that, is, that is way more than just forgiveness. That is making you a new creation in Christ. So whenever you're taken through his death, what that means is this. It says, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him. The old man, what is that? That is your old self that was chained up to sin. Because before you come to Christ, you only had one option. You had sin. That's the only thing you could do. You were chained up to sin. You were bound to sin. You were like a walking zombie. You know, you're just walking around feeding on flesh. You know, you only had one source. You're trying to, you're trying to gain life through feeding, through feeding on flesh. But now, I say this, you do not have to sin. Romans 6, you do not have to sin. I repeat, you do not have to sin. You're free from sin. Because Romans 6, 7 says this, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, moving forward into uh, Romans 6, verses 8 through 10, it says, Now, if we have died, we believe that we should also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has, has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died unto sin one time. Now, wait a second. It says here that Christ died to sin. It doesn't just say that, it doesn't just say that we died to sin. It says Christ died to sin. Why did Christ need to die to sin? Did Jesus ever sin? He never sinned. So what was his death to sin about? It was about us, wasn't it? Now think about that. We were placed, we were placed into Christ. And it says, that, it says that Christ died to sin how many times? One time for all sins. So what this means, I mean, I grew up with a mindset that said that I was fighting an a old self. You know, that I had to feed my new nature, that I had an a, 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 a old nature. You have a white dog and a black dog, and whoever you feed the most wins, right? But the problem with that, is, the, the number one problem with that is that it comes down to you performing. You know, that's, that is what the problem with that. That has, nothing, that has nothing to do with grace. Grace says this. Grace says that you are in Christ. Christ died to sin for you. You don't have to. You're free from sin right now. Go live. He died once, one time for all sins. So... 
Likewise, now this is another word for trust is this. It's found in verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now reckon. What does the word reckon mean, you think? I reckon. Are you going to the store? I'm fixing to. I mean, do you think that the gas station has gas? I reckon, you know. Why are we always fixing everything? Because we're always reckoning it, you know? <laughs> we're trying to reckon everything, so we're trying to fix it. I'm fixing to do it. I reckon I am. So, verse 11 says, Reckon, reckon yourself also to be what? To be dead to sin and alive to God. Now, what does that say about you before you came to Christ? You were, you were alive to sin and you were dead to God. The opposite of that was true. So whenever you come to Christ, you are now dead to sin and alive to God. You have no relationship to sin inside of, inside of your spirit. No relationship to sin whatsoever. And now you have communion. You are now sweet tea with Jesus. You are alive with God. So do not let sin reign. Do not let sin reign because you have a choice. Going back to Romans 6, 12, it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. Now, notice what verse 12 does not say. Verse 12 does not say that do not continue in sin, that you should obey your dirty, lustful heart. Does it say that? No. Does it say that do not continue in sin, that, that, that you should obey your dirty, lustful mind? It doesn't say that. Why does it not say that? Because you have a new heart. You have a new mind. You're, who you are is now safely secured inside Jesus. There's nothing wrong with you now. Think about that. There's nothing wrong with you. God is not asking you to change. He's not asking you to change whatsoever. Now, what about our thoughts? Those have to be changed. But are we defined by our thoughts? We're not defined by our thoughts. Whose thoughts are we defined by? His thoughts. His thoughts about us are far more better than our thoughts. That's why we need to trust in him. We need to reckon. We need to reckon everything God says about us as true, because it is. So, and do not present your members as, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as alive from the dead, and your members as, as instruments of righteousness to God. So, what this verse is saying is this. Now, if you look at a guitar, if I was to pick up this thing and start playing it, it would not sound good, I promise you. It would, not sound good, it would not sound good whatsoever because I'm not fit to play one. I don't have the experience as Daniel does. But if you was to take this thing and put it in Daniel's hand, it would be Jimi Hendrix. I promise you, he would shred everything up. So what this is saying is this. You, you are not fit for sin. Now that you have a new mind, you have a new heart, a new spirit, Christ's spirit within you, you are not fit for sin. So what sense does it make for you to present, your, to present your bodies to sin? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So the question that we started with was this. Should we continue in sin that grace, that grace might abound? No. Paul's long answer was this in Romans 6.14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you are not under law, but what? Under grace. Under grace. So going all the way back around, the reason why we should not sin is grace. We don't need to try to balance law. We don't need to try to balance performance with grace. It's all about grace from start to finish. Your part is to reckon it. Do you reckon that you are holy? Do you reckon that you are righteous? 
Do you trust God with who, with who he says you are? Do you trust that you have a new heart? Or do you try to just, you know, downplay it and just be like, well, all that's great, but, you know, I'm just position, positionally righteous, you know? All that's great, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really righteous, you know? I, I mean, I think I am, but I'm not sure. You're, the, the number one tra- transforming power for you is to trust what God says you are. That is the number one thing. And that is what had really changed me. Because, man, I'm, I don't know about you, but I am controlled by my feelings. Man, just whenever I feel something about myself, I always think, man, it's just I feel this way, so, you know, it must be true. But notice Paul says all throughout, all throughout Romans 6, he says, do you not know? He doesn't say, do you not feel? So you know what this is saying? This is saying that what God says about you is even greater than your feelings. Your part is to simply know. So... The difference is this. You do not need to be striving to try to please God. You do not need to be striving to try to make God happy with you. Your part is to trust God with who he says you are. And whenever you do that, what happens? You please God. Because apart from faith, apart from trust, it's what? Impossible to please God. So whenever you start to live from God, whenever you start to live from God as your source, you please him. And you know what? At the end of the day, the fruit of the spirit comes out within you. It bubbles up. Fruit happens. Boom. Fruit. So anyway, um, before I wrap up, I just want to give us a time to respond. If you have any questions, if you have anything that you want to add, I mean, I want to give you all the freedom to, to really do so. Because, look, this church, this church is a living, breathing organism. This is not a organization. We're not trying to build a, you know, some kind of business here. This is a, church, a living, breathing organism breathes in, and it also breathes out. So I love whenever Justin gives us a chance to kind of, you know, respond back and speak back because it gives us a chance to breathe out. So, I mean, if y'all have anything that you want to say, anything that you want to add, some kind of question. Yes. Did you have something, Daniel? The song we sang, Abba, this morning, Mm -hmm. um, I had sung it even up here for years. And then maybe maybe a year ago or less, uh, there was just a moment when it clicked that the whole, basically everything in that first part of the song before the chorus, you know, Abba, I belong to you, is all about what you were saying about mm. trusting what God says about you. I had never really put two and two together, but it's basically saying, you, you start off the song saying, you're way up here, your reality is higher, mm-hmm. you're more real than... Your thoughts define me, your thoughts you're define inside me. me, you're my reality. Mm-hmm. And so, it, I don't know, it, it, maybe y'all got it from day one, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. But there was, there was a moment when it was just like, you know, light bulb, it was yeah. wow. And so yeah. it's, it's just kind of turned it on its head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you talk about that today? It's funny how, you know, our worship songs are actually inspired by the Bible, you know? Isn't that crazy? Because me growing up, you know, with me growing up today, I mean, I was taught that Christian rock, you know, contemporary Christian music was evil because it doesn't have anything to do with doctrine, you know? But here we are. We just read a, di- a direct quote from the Bible, and it's played in a song, you know? So I think that's really cool. So if there's, yes. When you were talking about living under fear, obligation, and guilt, you mm-hmm. know, I think a lot of us can relate to that. But I thought of that as an acronym, you know, fear, obligation, and guilt. It's fog. fog. Yeah. And you feel like you're in a fog. You know, you mm-hmm. can't see God clearly. You can't even see yourself clearly. It's just a horrible place to be. Yeah. Plus, the clip at the beginning, oh, that was so powerful. I really feel like I want to meditate on that and watch it every day this week just to really let it soak in. So right. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Quick, not only that, but if you think about it, if you're in fog, you're also isolated. 
<laughs> you know, I, you know, I caught I caught on to the to the idea of fog from a psychological website, and fog is a tactic for people who have personality disorders to try to manipulate people. You know, I mean, whenever someone tries to use that, we will diagnose a person, a lost person, will die will diagnose this person with a with a personality disorder. But whenever it comes to God dealing with us this way, we think it's okay. You know. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. But anyway, that's just kind of something I was thinking about. Ms. Yes. I love the freedom that we have now mm-hmm. to put our mind on what the Lord has for us each day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it's, you know, our meditation then can be on Him and on others, and we can love others and not worry about our own behavior. And that's right. so much freedom. Yeah. It makes every day a brand new day and a lovely way to live. Mm-hmm. And and I just I'm I'm so grateful to hear your your message this morning. Right. Thank you. And I also like your metaphor about the zombies. I think that yeah. really is the most effective metaphor I've heard. All right. <laughs> Thank you. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it comes down to whenever we can place all of our focus on Christ, we can get our focus off of ourselves. So what should we do whenever we sin? Do we have to go grovel in a corner and wait and beg for God to forgive us? No, we can just get up and keep going, you know? What should I do whenever I sin? Just stop. Stop sinning, you know? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, if we fall, get back up again. We have an advocate with the Father. Um, Well, thank you. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Okay. We're going to hug you. Everybody act like like Iron Man and stick your hand out towards him. (laughs) Let's pray for him. Father God, we thank you for the treasure that is Brian. We thank you, God, for the purity of his heart. Lord, searching out the truth and letting your light shine in his heart. We thank you, Father, for the freedom he now walks in. Thank you for the testimony of him being set free from the burden he was carrying. And now the joy that he has in the journey, Lord, getting to know you and walking in the sunshine of your love. Lord, we want to be like him when we grow up. So we thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.